Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. We're going to be a later stage fund helping open the Latin American market. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. It is such an exciting time to be involved in renewable energy and the energy transition. Today's entrepreneur is helping bridge the technology and financing gap between Silicon Valley and Latin America. Tomasa Campo and I first met when he was a graduate student at Stanford back in early 2016, and I've had the joy of watching his career and business musings flourish since then. Today, I'm proud to be announcing with Tomas both the investment fund that he's created, as well as their first two investments, which is backed by one of Latin America's largest utilities, YPF in Argentina. You might be surprised by this savvy renewable energy developer's first play in the LATAM energy transition. So stay tuned to see how all about how Tomas is bringing Silicon Valley savvy to his native Argentina. You can check out other great founders' stories and solar startup advice in over 160 more episodes archived at mysuncast.com. While you're there, do check out our Suncast tribe or join the mailing list and don't miss out when each episode is dropped. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today we get a chance to once again take a bit of a trip down memory road, but also dive into very much what could be the future of corporate funding and corporate ventures in Latin America. I'm sure it's going to find a nice hybrid and already is in other parts of developing nations. But I wanted to introduce to you an entrepreneur who I've been getting to know, I've had the pleasure of following for the last three and a half years. A friend of mine now, Mr. Tomas Ocampo, who very casually and uh, serendipitously bumped into each other at the very first Green Tech Media Mexico Summit back in January 2016, and I am forever grateful for it. Tomas, welcome to Suncast. Thanks, Nigo. Grateful to have met you in that conference too. Well, at that time, I was only about, I think, 10 episodes into Suncast, and you were still very much a graduate student at Stanford trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with your life as a postgraduate, post-lawyer life, trying to figure out where to go in renewable energy. We'll talk about that and more here today on Suncast. Tomas is the managing director of the newly formed and newly launched YPF Ventures. It is a corporate venture fund of YPF, the largest utility in Argentina, perhaps in Latin America. We're going to talk more about that today. But Tomas, before we jump into YPF, and you can correct all of my blunders, I would love to hear about how you got into clean energy at all and, and when you really knew that this was where you were going to focus the bulk of your, you call it the next decade, you're still a very young man. But tell me how that happened for you. 
So I started my career in clean energy when I was working as a finance lawyer in Argentina at the Bruce Law Firm, which is the top finance law firm in Argentina. I had the luck of working in the two first wind farm financings in Argentina. And there's kind of like a funny story behind that, that I, I, I always been interested in engineering as a kid, but I wind up going to, to law school as an undergrad, which is something you can do in Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, both like an engineering geek and also used to be a professional sailor. So when I work on the first the financing of the first wind farm in Argentina, the engineers in the project really liked me because I was like a lawyer that understood the math behind how a wind farm works uh, and mainly how when there's too much wind, uh, cash flows stop, which is something that others mm. in the project, some of the other financiers and lawyers did understood. Uh, so that got me super tied in with that, with that team, uh, the engineering team that worked on the first wind farm in Argentina. And two things happened personally. First was realizing how big the market opportunity is going to be about the energy transition. So during our lifetime, we're going to go to 100% renewables mm-hmm. and 100% electric vehicle transportation. And that's like the major, that's like the largest market shift that ever happened. So it's extremely, I was extremely excited to work on it. And then it's the main way to, to do something about climate change. I think those two things and my passion for engineering from before was what got me on opening the eyes on how big the opportunity in clean energies and to fully jump and committed to it for the past almost 10 years now. When you and I met, you had just wrapped up a couple of things that I found particularly intriguing and one of the reasons that I feel like we really connected and, and stayed in touch. You'd written a capstone project on utility-scale solar for PV in Argentina, and this was beginning of 2016. And you'd also written and done an independent project on energy storage to displace peaker generators with batteries. Tomas, how far in advance of the Renovar, the what, what's now well-established history, but at that time completely groundbreaking in what was then called the Year of Renewable Energy in Argentina. So this was January. At what point in that year was there actually a, a utility-scale auction? Yeah, that year, I think it was late July, August, that the auction finally happened. Obviously, you have, you're from Argentina, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. How did your utility-scale PV capstone project at Stanford ultimately feed into your being actively involved in the solar industry in Argentina, which now has become quite a distinct piece of business in the country? It was extremely relevant on that capstone project for why or how I got into solar in Argentina. And you were hinting to that, like solar energy, when we started looking from the like research perspective. So it was like zero megawatts in utility scale solar in Argentina. And there were two gigawatts in Chile. Yeah. For me and, and my partner in the project it was pretty obvious that utility scale solar was coming to Argentina. Because if you just compared Argentina with Chile, you can see a similar picture, like mm-hmm. the highest solar irradiation in the world in the north, Northwest of Argentina, a huge need for energy, energy, was extremely expensive in that moment in Argentina. We were burning a lot of liquid fuels. And the main difference between Argentina and, Ch- and spare transmission capacity, in Argentina was better than Chile in that regard. But the only thing that made the difference that you had two gigawatts of solar in Chile and zero in Argentina was the fact that Argentina was in default and the fact that there weren't like a regulatory mechanisms and finance mechanisms to finance utility scale solar in Argentina. And our thesis was that because Argentina was going through a changing government, 
the change in government was going to lead to a decrease in interest rates, which was going to basically open the market. And then that's like now looking in hindsight, that's basically what happened. Interest rates for solar projects go down and then the rest is history. There's over 30 projects under development right now. And a bunch of them came online last two weeks. So now Argentina is close to 8% renewable energy. It's really interesting because I remember at the GTM Mexico summit, folks were sort of, uh, well, it was all about Mexico, but at the time there are, and always were these sort of rumors in the marketplace. Like is Colombia going to hit next? Is it going to be Argentina? Everybody's talking about what's the next market. Even at the time, early 2016, Brazil had not really exploded onto the scene, certainly not on the DG side, uh, didn't have uh, the structure that it has now. And, you know, you and I started talking back and forth over Skype and email about what does the future for Latin America innovation look like? Not just around PV, but for solving climate change broadly, that being introducing electric vehicles, as you mentioned before, it's going to happen in our lifetime energy, sort of waste to energy, solar, obviously, and other renewables. Help me understand, as you begin to graduate Stanford, you're leaning in at a government level, helping shape the future of Renovar, which you're welcome to explain a little more if you want. But help me understand how you begin to think about leveraging the legal background, the hedge fund interests that you had developed uh, from a math perspective, and the experience at Stanford, which gave you sort of a global platform to stand on. I think that's basically the combination of skills that led me to to pursue this entrepreneurial path. Going a bit back, I am extremely interested in kind of like this innovation topic about like energy innovation in Latin America, because if we look at climate change, like marginal emissions in the next few years are going to come from developing countries. And I happen to be like well-connected and versed on, on the energy market in Latin America. So like emissions are, are going up in Latin America because the population is growing and because we're taking people out of poverty and those people consume like more and more electricity as we go. And it's that's something that we want. We want to keep taking people out of poverty and providing them with more electricity. What we want is to uncouple that kind of like increase in energy consumption from CO2 emissions. And the only way to do that is with technology. You hinted right that after Stanford, I, I decided to, even though I had $200,000 in debt and $47 in my bank account at some point, reject kind of like my typical banking offers that I had to, to pursue an entrepreneurial career and eventually finding mechanisms to speed up energy innovation in, in Latin America. To your second question on, on how my legal background and, and then in the MBA and my time at Stanford, I pursue both understanding the fundamentals of energy. So I did that master's in science in energy that was an excuse to take engineering classes at Stanford and energy. So I took, for example, a class with J.B. Straubel, uh, who is the city of Tesla wow. uh, on energy storage. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. And then a lot of material science classes on solar PV and, and batteries. And what I was looking to do with that was to consolidate my like fundamental understanding of the like trends underlying energy. And then the MBA, I 100% focused it on finance because as we know, like financing, it's uh, like solar and, and electric vehicle projects are extremely capex intensive and low in maintenance. So the way we finance them makes or break those projects. I, I think those three skills that I tried to build, that was the regulatory aspect, the 
technology or, or like fundamentals and finance are kind of like the three main kind of like points on like an energy tripod, if we imagine. Mm-hmm. And those were the skills that I tried to like develop during my education and career. And I try to keep developing still today. I'm surprised how much my legal background is helping me both to set up this fund that, I, that we're going to talk about and, and in general in my entrepreneurial pursuits. Indeed. And I am impressed by the way that you have very thoughtfully crafted the direction of your career, especially during the time at Stanford. I feel like graduate school, if anything, beyond networking is an opportunity to really sit and have dedicated time that you're paying for by whether or not you can leverage that into wealth generation post-graduate or sort of after graduation. It's a time to really sit and think about how you can impact the world what's the best way that you can lean in and also get a better return for your education. I feel like you did a great job of that. One of the conversations that I recall very clearly, if I'm not mistaken, was about a year ago, because I remember that in concert with that conversation, you and I were talking about ways that we could collaborate and you were saying, hey, I really want to think about technology arbitrage between developing countries and LATAM, in particular between the US where you've now established a network and LATAM. There were a lot of different ways that you were starting to contemplate that, in particular around technology transfer. I remember that you were thinking of building a company in particular just to be able to transfer knowledge of bleeding edge technologies into Latin America and have that be sort of the tip of the spear. It should be noted that all the while you're getting recruited by hedge funds that would pay you a quarter million dollars a year or more to help them uh, apply not only your legal but mathematical wizardry to growing their fund. It was about that time that you got reached out to by some local Argentine business leaders. Set the stage for me there about the first introduction to YPF and how you subsequently brought them to SF and and that led into the forming of YPF Ventures. There was a lot of serendipity on that on that encounter and, and as you as you recall well when we had that conversation uh, I was working that time so like for the past almost three, the two years, two years and a little more, I've been working, helping two large Japanese utilities understand which new businesses, in the context of the energy transition, which new businesses appeared in the US and what's the status of those businesses. So for example, behind the meter storage, electric vehicle charging, uh, kind of understanding upstream to downstream, how big those markets are today, the market opportunity and how fast those markets are growing and trying to understand who in the value chain is making the margins. So while I was doing that, basically getting paid to look at the market from five thousand feet and, and trying to understand what's going on, I started finding a lot of opportunities to help basically with technologies that were already working in the U.S. Mm-hmm. to take them to Latin America. So to play that arbitrage that we talked before that I think we needed to decarbonize. But at the time, it was hard to understand how that was going to play out. Mm-hmm. But I started finding all these like specific opportunities to bring companies or introduce like Silicon Valley companies to Latin America, both to help on accelerating electric vehicles, replace diesel generation with batteries, or software to integrate more renewables to the grid. And these are things that, I don't know, PG&E, I've been talking to companies that PG&E have been using for like four years, and non-Latin American utility know that they even exist. So I think by that time was when we met. Yeah, what's a good example of a company that PG&E had been working with for four years that LATAM utilities didn't understand about? 
or didn't know existed? Yeah. So the, the, that's, for example, uh, there's, a, there's a specific company that I, that I really like that they, they haven't been working with PG&E for that long, but, but I think the, the example still applies that it's a, a company called Smart Wires and Smart Wires, they help route electricity in the grid. So you can, you can basically reroute electricity through the grid using their hardware and software. So if you have a line that it's overcharged, like it's overutilized and another power line that it's underutilized, you can reroute electricity from one line to the other. And that helps you reduce maintenance and integrate more renewables. Mm-hmm. And that company, the, the hardware already works. The, the business model is still until development, but but it's a product that works. And I sat down with some of the largest utilities in Latin America and they didn't even know existed. And when mm-hmm. they when they heard about it, it's it's interesting because the challenge for like the transmission grid, it's larger in Latin America than in the US because Latin America, as you know better than any of us, has been spending a lot of like CapEx and developing a lot of solar and wind projects. So like renewable generation has grown a lot and it's still growing, but there hasn't been that much investment in transmission and distribution. So that was an example that I think it's so clear that if you can bring that kind of opportunities to to Latin American utilities, they'll be all over them. That's one example. And to wrap our collective head around the business case for this, how did you conceptualize the ability to take a company like SmartWires into Latin America? How would you make money doing that? Yeah, so I, I started exp- exploring more of like a business development angle. So if I could craft a deal between, let's say, a company like SmartWires, or I was also looking at like energy storage. If I can craft a deal between, let's say, either like somebody like Tesla or or like a private equity fund interested in deploying capital on the storage sector in Latin America and a Latin American utility, I was like, okay, I'm not going to make money for a while. Yeah, I, I imagine it more as like business development, so charging fees for setting these deals up. Mm. Yeah, so like the way kind of like a banker would work, like uh, getting mm-hmm. an exclusivity and then if we close a deal, I get a percentage fee of, of the deal. So that was what I was starting to do. And what I was basically iterating and and mm-hmm. and using like kind of like a startup approach to see if that would work when when YPF approached me to start a fund. So you mentioned that YPF approached you again for the sake of someone who may not understand YPF. Why don't you put a little bit of relevance around YPF in the context of utilities, Latin America, Argentina, and then. How and why they chose you to do what initially were a round of introductions in in Silicon Valley? Yeah, so so YPF it's about a twenty thousand people company, so twenty thousand employees, seven billion dollars in revenue per year, uh, and it's one of the largest oil and gas companies in Latin America. So they are a mainly focused oil and gas company. So they have upstream midstream and downstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get oil from the ground and pump it into cars and export oil as well. They also have a big power business. Now they have some of the largest wind farms and combined cycle power plants in Argentina. So yeah, YBF is like a pretty large operation, mostly focusing oil and gas, but turning into more of like a broad energy company Mm -hmm. and it's a local company. So now most of their business is in Argentina, but the company used to be present all around Latin America in the nineties. And now YPF discovered and is exploding one of the largest like non like oil and gas, non non conventional fields in the world. Mm -hmm. So like the first 
kind of like outside of the US and Canada that it's being exploded economically. So YPF is this like 10, like $7 billion revenue company that it's potentially is going to double or triple in revenue in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. They being a massive company, uh, many thousands of employees, and you being one of many millions of Argentines somehow selected you out of, uh, out of the cadre of folks in California. H- how did that come about and why is that relevant to what you're doing today? Well, I think there was, there was some serendipity to it and, and, and maybe the, the story is interesting. I, in general, I try to help people who, who want to access Silicon Valley to, to work on, on transforming the energy world. I try to help them with like networking and introducing people I know. So, so I try to be, I try to be open about that and, and, and make connections. And at some point I got approached by a person who, who is um, close to the president of Argentina and close to the president of YPF. This person wanted to meet with uh, some Stanford professors. Mm -hmm. So he needed interactions for that. And I helped him meet with those Stanford professors. When I introduced him, we had like a super brief conversation on what's going on in energy. And he really liked my opinions. So six months later, his name is Ignacio Peña. He's an Argentinian entrepreneur, former consultant. He's a lecturer at Wharton. So he's he's an extremely savvy and well-connected guy. He was organizing a trip for the president of YPF to Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So he asked me for my help with connections, both to investors and startups in San Francisco. And when he approached me to that, I proposed him to do an exercise thinking first, what's changing in energy? So what are the big trends that are changing in energy? And underneath those trends, which startups exist? and who is investing in which startups. When we did that, he was basically, hey, can you clear your agenda? And instead of just making interactions, spend a full 10 days with me, the president of YPF, the CEO of YPF, and their management team. Uh, so that's kind of like how, how I got like, close to them. And I, and I got to spend a full week with the management team of YPF in San Francisco, which kind of like kickstart our relationship and that led to to them asking me to to start this fund because we spent a full week just brainstorming like meeting investors meeting startups and brainstorming out what's going on in energy so i gotta ask the question that others are thinking did you get paid for that week or did you just do this in kind hoping it would go somewhere no i didn't i didn't do it to get paid and not hoping to get anywhere even though i was starting my business kind of like this business development thesis on kind of like uniting Silicon Valley with Latin America. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool opportunity to shape the heart and minds of one of the largest oil companies in the world. So I did it out of like trying to share information with them on how fast the energy world is changing so they can take informed decisions before mm-hmm. risking too much in oil and gas assets without considering the kind of world that we think it's coming. Hey, are you still managing your solar development portfolio in Excel? I'll forgive you if you are, but if you've been slogging along, waiting for the perfect software solution to aid you in the transition to a true database platform, then you're in luck. My friends at FTC Solar created Atlas, a bit to scratch their own itch, but they then realized that they created something any developer can use. It's an enterprise-level, customizable database platform designed to support renewable energy project development. Accessible anywhere there's an internet connection, Atlas includes elements of CRM, project management, data storage, and finance in a single package that is solar-ready out of the box. 
With all the Atlas platform has to offer, it's no wonder solar developers are ditching the spreadsheets and switching to Atlas to manage their project portfolio. If you want to learn more and request your free trial, please head over to go.ftcsolar.com forward slash suncast. You could also just click on that FTC Solar banner at mysuncast.com. From that week, you were catapulted into this, what became about a nine-month process of refining and getting approved, essentially a venture fund inside of YPF. Tell me about YPF Venture and how you became managing director and what the thesis of it is. What problem are you trying to solve now being an investment vehicle for one of the largest utilities in the world? When they initially approached me, one thing that I was clear, the chairman and the CEO of YPF, they don't come from a typical oil and gas background. The the two of them are, are two of the top investors in in latin america so the chairman of the company who leads the board he's a former jp morgan guy led uh, jp morgan emerging markets and daniel gutierrez who is the ceo he comes from mary lynch and he led mary lynch latin america for a while so they have a pretty like open-minded view about what's about energy in general they understood one of the first problems i saw was that YPF needs a presence. So like any oil company needs a presence in Silicon Valley, or if you want to put it broadly, Silicon Valley, Israel, Shenzhen in China, because that's where the like energy innovation is happening. It's not happening in Argentina. But the problem with playing in Silicon Valley is one of the most competitive investor markets in the world. So if you show up in Silicon Valley and you open a Series A fund backed by YPF, you're going to have a really hard time making good investments. You're going to run into a problem called adverse selection. Basically means that the average of the opportunities that are going to get to you are the opportunities that were rejected by all the top funds. Immediately when, when they offered me to, to start thinking about this fund, I knew that we didn't have to do a normal venture capital fund. And luckily, because, because of the top management of YPF, they, they are such like top investors. They immediately understood the problem. So they gave me and we gave ourselves freedom to explore a thesis different than the other oil company funds. So what YPF Ventures is going to be doing in Silicon Valley in particular, we're going to be a later stage fund mm-hmm. helping open the Latin American market. We're going to be looking for opportunities of businesses similar to the kind of business development player I was doing before. So looking for companies that already work in the U.S., have a proven technology and a semi-proven business model in the U.S., and provide capital to those companies to scale in Latin America. Mm. And that's where that's where we can both provide capital and, and expertise and like connections to the government, so like shaping regulations and so forth. And you have an exciting announcement this week going out that you've made your first investment. Would you care to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. And you will have the prime, the prime news, Nico. We invested in Bird Series C a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Bird as in Ave. Bird, Bird the is electric scooter the company. The electric scooter company. Yep. And we are working with them on potentially launching in the southern corner of Latin America. Fantastic. Well, Tomas, I really appreciate you bringing this to the Suncast audience. You know, it's exciting that we get to break some news here on Suncast. Help us understand the bird investment. I'm not sure how much at liberty you are to speak about the details of the investment, but at a macro level, what does this signal to the market for how you intend to invest and what you're bringing to market? And then at a micro level, uh, what could others expect to see from YPF for, for these types of investments? 
first for us, it's an, more than the signal to the market. It's kind of like validation for us that the thesis potentially works as we intended. So what we wanted to do, as I said before, was to come to the market with a concrete value creation proposal on how we can open these 600 million people market that is Latin America and that it's growing fast. And it's kind of validation that we can, we, like using that thesis, we can get into top deals. So BIRD is one of the hardest uh, venture capital deals right now to get into. Uh, all the investors are top venture famous funds from Silicon Valley. Uh, and suddenly one of the investors is this small, new, develop YPF Ventures Fund. So for us, it's a, it's like one of the first of like several kind of like initial validation points that help us prove that the thesis is, is working as, as intended. And second, most broadly to the market, for us, micromobility in general, it's a, it's a really interesting space. I don't know if you, if you look at the details of the Uber and Lyft IPO, but uh, around 50% of trips in ride sharing, so both for Uber and Lyft are less than six kilometers long. Wow. Uh, and that's a market where where like electric bikes, electric scooters can can definitely play a role. And if you think about Latin America where we have a huge congestion problem, the opportunity is even more exciting. That's basically the if you want the kind of like macro view of like why we were excited about this space and why we were excited about this, this this company in particular and decided to to try to do something with them. Thomas, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate the detail around uh, the specificity of why you see this as a valid or valuable investment. Anybody who's been all over Mexico City and I would imagine uh, Santiago, Chile and, and Buenos Aires are similarly becoming these types of markets. But Mexico City now has, uh, including Bird, three major s- scooter companies all over town and i've had where i couldn't even get the app to work in oakland california i've ridden all over downtown mexico city on a scooter so i agree with you i think that uh, it's a more enjoyable way to get around town uh, as long as you've got a helmet and i think that it is the future of personal transportation uh, for short trips things like electric bikes and scooters how did ypf specifically invest and do you have some sort of exclusivity for latin america and then on the heels of that are you at liberty to speak about upcoming investments or types of investments? Yeah, so 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 in the way we 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 participated on the deal, we we made a small investment in the Series C, uh, and that small investment was basically to get us in the door to to now evaluate this this opportunity that we're evaluating with Bird that it's mm-hmm. uh, launching in the southern corner of Latin America. So think uh, mainly Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, southern Brazil. So that's. Uh, that's kind of like the type of investment that we did. We, in general, are going to be biasing our investments to to creating value or, or creating new companies in Latin America. Uh, so most of the funding that we're going to invest, we're going to try to find ways to, that funding goes, goes specifically to Latin America, where, where we think we can add the most amount of value to, to these companies that we invest mm-hmm. and other sectors that we're looking into, we're, we're looking specifically on technologies that help integrate more renewables to the grid, everything related to distributed generation and distributed storage, where we also made an investment, not through the fund, but YPF simultaneously with the fund and investment in BIRD, uh, we're announcing uh, an investment in a, 
in Argentina's first uh, distributed solar energy company called Sustentator. Mm. So that's another prime news for, for Suncast. Yeah, so the topics that we're going to be investing, it's uh, distributed energy, renewable energy integration, electrification of, of transportation, uh, and then everything related to, to managing volatility in the grid. So software and hardware to, to manage volatility on the grid that comes from distributed generation and from electric, electrification. If someone were approaching YPF, what sort of investment is these going to be? Is this going to be structured as? Is it predominantly going to be angel investment, seed round? Uh, where are you looking to invest in companies that might think of coming to you and asking to to partner? Yeah, so we have two different funds. We have a fund that is a U.S. based fund that is doing investments of the type that we did in Bird. So we are looking for companies in the U.S. that have a proven technology and a semi-proven or like a business model with a lot of potential. And, and we help those companies grow into Latin America, basically putting our capital that is capital that it's comfortable with Latin American levels of risk and that we have tools to de-risk that risk as well and, and expertise on de-risking Latin American political and, and, and finance risk. And then we have a second fund that it's a seed fund to invest in Latin American startups. So if you're an entrepreneur in Chile developing a new software, a new software connected to energy and some capacity or to transportation, we have a seed fund specifically for those, those type of companies. So, so it depends on which type of company is it, but we have those two investment vehicles. One, it's more, the first one, it's more of like a private equity growth equity vehicle mm -hmm. where we help American companies grow into Latin America. And the second one, it's a smaller venture capital vehicle where we help Latin American entrepreneurs and get the initial funding. So like seed rounds or like series A rounds uh, to grow their companies. Well, Tomas, it is, uh, broadly speaking, extremely exciting. If we had more time, I would, uh, would want to dive into ways that your mentors have, uh, have really breathed life into your own work, how, as a professional sailor, you brought the world championship home to Argentina and placed in the top 10. All these things that are so exciting and interesting about you as a person, perhaps what I will end on, and, uh, and, uh, and I want you to think about it as, uh, as I ask the question. You are a young entrepreneur, but not an inexperienced entrepreneur. You've got multivariate skills. Do you have any advice for those, not only those who would come and ask for funding from YPF, but generally speaking, those who would be looking at Latin America or, and thinking about starting a business? Uh, any advice from you know, the, the bumps and scars, bruises and, and uh, hard knocks that you have already experienced in the last 10 years? No, just that it's like a pretty tough path, but, but I think the opportunity, the opportunity is so huge in general for renewable energy and, and like businesses related to the energy transition around the world. The, the opportunity is so huge. And at the same time, the, not only the economical payout, but the moral payout can be so huge because we need to decarbonize mm -hmm. that even though the, the path is pretty tough, it's extremely rewarding. So mm. it can be tough financially, personally and everything, but, but it's extremely rewarding and it's something that we need more people working and excited about and it's an extremely exciting path. So anything I can do to help, just reach out to me. And On that note, where can people find you? LinkedIn, email, Twitter? Is there a good place to, to find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter in at Tomas O.C. So T-O-M-A-S-O-C. Mm -hmm. 
and also on LinkedIn or, and I have my messages open on LinkedIn so people can easily reach out to me. So I think those are the two, two easiest ways to find me. Yeah, very cool. And we'll certainly link to those in the show notes. Well, let's wrap as we always do, Tomas, with our final question we call a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? Tomas, what's in your crystal ball? I don't know if anybody else is tracking, but I think we, we're getting in, in really interesting times in energy in general. If we see the the budget of the large oil companies like Shell, and they are expecting to keep deploying massive amounts of capital into into current like oil and gas business. But I think that what the, those big companies are not assuming is that every year the level of risk that that capital is taking is increasing. So, so these companies are still paying off huge IRRs, but I think that IRR is coming with like an increasing level of risk that's coming along every year because we're electrifying transportation mm. and we are going to start to doing that faster. So I think it's an extremely exciting moment to be looking at in the next five years to oil prices and to, to track how electric vehicles, maybe electric vehicles growth will, will, will impact that and how mostly it will impact the minds of investors who are investing in oil and gas and to, to track what they were doing kind of like before actual massive deployment of electric vehicles happen. I think that's like where I like to geek out and, and spend some time looking into because I think it's going to be a big parable for this business and for like accelerating decarbonization. Well, with billions and perhaps trillions of dollars on the line, We'll all be eagerly watching to see how the majors in oil and gas do respond to the eventual, inevitable electrification of the world, as my friends on Energy Twitter like to say, electrify everything. We've been listening to Tomas Ocampo, the managing director of the newly formed YPF Ventures, who here today announced not only their investment in Bird, the electric scooter company out of the United States, but also the first of, the, of many, I expect, uh, plays for them in the renewable space with the investment into Sustentator, a distributed generation solar play. Specifically, that is an Argentine company. We look forward to more wonderful news from YPF Ventures and our friend Tomas Ocampo to come and uh, to see how this corporate venture fund of the massive uh, Argentine oil and gas giant YPF turns out. So, Tomas, thank you for joining us on Suncast. Been a pleasure, friend. No, please, Nico. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior. And huge thank you to my friend Tomas for giving Suncast the privilege of being his first interview on the new YPF Ventures Fund. If you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, please take the time to show Tomas and I some love by sharing this podcast with your friends, your LinkedIn family your Vespa club, wherever you find most relevant. Your recommendation is probably the highest compliment we could possibly receive. To learn more about today's guest or past episodes, just click on the listen link at mysuncast.com and that'll take you to the episodes page, which I call show notes in some cases. There, you'll get those show notes, social media and website links, fantastic book recommendations, and all the back catalog of our other interviews chock full of goodies just like today. While you're there, do also check out the Suncast Tribe, where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. This week, we dropped a live interview that I did at Solar Power Puerto Rico to all of our Patreon and Suncast Tribe members. So click on that member button to learn more and get access. And of course, 
When you do subscribe to the newsletter, you'll be notified when the next episode comes out. Or maybe where I'll be in the world, like New York City, the week of June 20th for the Ref Wall Street Conference and the Canadian Solar Solar Future Forum event. Hey, I am so happy you chose to be here again this week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.